0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Uh, I feel like it's been forever since we've been in this book. And uh, as we think back through this, uh, I want to uh, just remind us of some of the things that we've talked about, some of the things Paul has been dealing with. Uh, but I want to say one thing before I get started on this. As a matter of fact, pause the tape a minute. Because I don't want this on the internet. In Galatians chapter 4, we come to. Uh, Paul's still appealing to the Galatians for the gospel. Now, up until this point, Paul has been very firm with them. He's been very stern with them, as a matter of fact, in, in telling them that they are, they are just acting foolishly. They have, they have been bewitched, if you will, by, the, uh, uh, by somebody, by these Judaizers. They've been led astray. They've been led down a wrong path. And, and he hasn't been very uh, commending to them. and been very, uh, if you will, nice to them. But now he comes and he gives sort of a pastoral appeal in verses 12 through 20. He, he changes his tone completely and from coming from a theological basis where he's talked about what is justification by faith alone? What is it to have your sins forgiven? What is it to know the grace of God through Jesus Christ in your life? And basically saying, how can you turn back to something? How can you turn away from that? It's such a glorious and a great truth. Now there's a little difference between the Galatians And the Hebrews that we talked about this morning, that we kind of introduced, we we talked about how they were being tempted to turn back to the sacrificial system. They were being tempted to turn back to Judaism. And and their temptation was to totally abandon Christ. Their temptation was to totally abandon the gospel. And just to be easy in life and get along with people and and not have to go through all they're going through was just to say, we would turn our back on Christ and we go back to Judaism completely. The Galatians were not being tempted quite in that manner. Because the Judaizers were men who were coming along and saying, no, you need to believe in Jesus. You need to believe in Christ. But you also need to carry on some of the rituals of Judaism. You need to sort of do a synergism. You need a a blending of the two. Let let Judaism and let Christianity kind of stand together intermingled and do the rituals, do the festivals, do the feasts, do the fast, do all the things... They'd go along with Judaism and, and still claim Christ, still trust in Christ. You must trust in Christ. They believed that. But the Judaizers believed that it was not uh, salvation that was on the basis of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. They believed it was the, that salvation was on the basis of faith in Christ plus carrying out some legalistic rituals that they were being led to do. And there's a great difference in that. But anytime we add to or take away from the gospel message, anytime we put anything al- alongside of in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, any time we add anything to that, if it's going to church, if it's tithing, if it's, if it's doing good deeds, if it's being a good person, and we say, you've you got to have Christ, but you've got to have all this other stuff too that you kind of add on to it. Then we've added to the gospel and we have polluted the gospel in doing that. And that's what was happening with the Judaizers. That was what was happening in Galatia. Now the apostle had been to Galatia. He had ministered there at least on two occasions in the, I think the second and the third missionary journey in Acts. If you want to take a look at that later on, you can. And he kind of refers to some things here that talks about why he was there. Acts doesn't tell the, the story quite this way. It doesn't relate to why he was there. Just that he went there but I want you to hear what he says as we read verses 12 through 20 about the occasion for him visiting Galatia in verse 12 he says I beg of you brethren become as I am for I also have become as you are you have done me no wrong but you know that it is because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time and that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition You did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly eagerly seek you, the they there is the Judaizers. They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out in order that you may seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone For I am perplexed about you. Do you hear the apostle's heart coming through here? Do you hear his tone of voice that's so so pastoral and so fatherly and so caringly? He says, listen, my children. He said, I want to have a different tone with you. I want to have a gentle tone with you. But man, I am perplexed about what's going on. I am perplexed that you could have come into such a great salvation, a salvific relationship with Christ, and now you're willing to to pollute it. Now you're willing to synergize it with other things, and bring about a a synergy with with the old law, and try to do both of them at the same time. And think that that's the only way you can be right with God. I've told you that justification is by faith alone. I've showed you how it was proven by the law. I've shown you how it was proven by Abraham. I've shown you how it was proven by the death of Christ on the cross. I mean, he, he spent all that time with him. And then he says, but, but I love you like my own children. I care about you. I want to see in you formed Jesus Christ. And that's my passion, and that's my heart. Now we'll come back to that in a minute as we talk about this. But I want you to see what Paul is saying here. First of all, we get the hint of why he came to Galatia in the first place. He says, I want you to become as I am, as I have become as you are. In other words, I want you to see things from my perspective. I want you to uh, you know, put yourself in my shoes. I want you to, to to, get a feeling of what I'm feeling right now towards you because I've placed myself in the position of your shoes that I might minister to you. I want you to do the same here so you can understand. He said, you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. For some reason... Evidently, on one of those journeys, as Paul was preaching the gospel, on those missionary journeys, he was caused to have to stay in uh, Galatia or stop off in Galatia and stay there for a while because of a sickness. Now, he doesn't say what that sickness is. He doesn't go into any kind of detail. But he says it was a bodily illness. And he goes on in 14 to say that it was a trial to you and my bodily condition did not despise or loathe you but you receive me as angel of God as Christ himself the, the indication there is when he says but you did not despise or loathe me because of it was the idea that most people would have most people would have looked at me in my condition and they would have, they would have shunned me, they would have moved away from me they would have wanted nothing to do with me but by God's grace and because you received my preaching you, you received me, you cared for me you accepted me and received me as though I were an angel from God, as though I were Christ Jesus himself. You didn't loathe, you didn't despise, you didn't push me away, but you embraced me when I came. And he, he said, I want you to come back to understand and remember that. I want you to remember that relationship that I had. Now, what this sickness was, we, we don't have a lot of details on. Uh, I think it's basically the same thing that Paul talked to the Corinthians about in Second Corinthians chapter 12, when he talked about this thorn in the flesh you know he said in verse 7 he said because of the surprising, surpassing greatness of the revelation for this reason to keep me from exalting myself there was given me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan to buffet me to keep me from exalting myself he said I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me and he said to me my grace is sufficient for you my power is perfected in weakness And when I am weak, Paul said, then when I am weak, then I am strong. I I learned that this thorn in the flesh, this whatever it is, was not an enemy, but it was a friend. It was not something that was destroying him, but it was something that was keeping him from exalting himself. Keeping him from thinking more highly of himself than he ought to think. And, And so Paul is making that very clear here as he talks to the Galatian Christians there's been a lot of speculation about what this bodily illness is, what this thorn in the flesh was. Uh, Some have thought it was malaria or or epilepsy of some sort where he would go into epileptic seizures and and fits and and would be rather disconcerting rather rather disturbing uh, to the people who were there around him and that would cause him to say but you you didn't see me that way, you didn't loathe me, you accepted me and you loved me and you embraced me. Many have thought that it was some kind of a an oriental eye disease that caused a, I don't to get too graphic here, but caused an oozing of the eyes and a, and a redness and a swollenness and a, a pus-like thing that would come out of the eyes that was just terrible to look at, horrible to, to gaze upon, and, and, and that Paul was uh, plagued by that. Now, there, there may be some indication of that here in verse 15 that it was something to do with his eyes because he said, I bear you witness if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me this idea that that they loved him so much they they were so compassionate toward him and they were receiving him such a way that he says I know that if you could have you just reached up and plucked out your eyes and stuck them in my head so that I could see and not be burdened by this but you couldn't do it but you love me just that much And, and Paul is just spending time reminding them in verses 12 through 15 how much they loved him you know sometimes you have to remind people that we have had a great relationship in the past. Sometimes things deteriorate to a point where you have to say, you know, there was a time when I ministered the gospel to you or there was a time when I cared for you and we had a great relationship. Now, what has caused that break in that relationship? And that's what he's trying to appeal to them on a personal basis about in this particular passage. So he says, you know, you you love me, you cared for me, you didn't despise me, you didn't shun me even though I had a bodily condition that was horrible, that you received me as an angel of God, a messenger of God, and as Christ Jesus himself. He says, where is that sense of blessing you have? How'd you lose that? How did that change to where now you don't see me as a source of blessing, but you, you see me as a burden, you see me as a problem, you see me as, so is it because I have told you what is happening there those who are seeking to lead you astray are not speaking the truth to you they're not preaching the gospel to you but rather you're listening to them and I have chided you for that and I've called you back to repentance on that basis I don't know but he says in verse 16 after all this love that you've shown to me and known of me in the past have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Now I can think of all sorts of applications for that question uh, even in my own personal life and ministry. Is that sometimes when there's error slipping in, sometimes when there has been a, a pervasiveness of error that has taken over in any situation in an individual life or in a church or in a community, when someone comes along and points out that era and tells the truth about that era, all of a sudden you go from being a real friend to being an enemy. And I can think of times in the past when I have confronted people over immorality in their own life men who had been deacons, men who had been leaders, men who had been uh, examples within the body of Christ, but who had allowed their lives to slip into a form of immorality. And when I confronted them, even though we'd had great years of ministry together, even though we loved each other in the past and he loved me or or whatever, at that point it was almost like, who do you think you are? And I became an enemy because the truth was spoken. I mean, that's sort of a natural human response outside of the Spirit. That's kind of a response of the flesh. To say, listen, I don't want to hear from you. You don't tell me anything. I'll do what I want to do. When when the flesh takes over and the Spirit is not controlling and the Lordship of Christ is not being pursued, all of a sudden we don't like the truth. Now it may be that, that they just really wanted to be a religious people and and they weren't really concerned about the truth of the gospel, but Paul said the gospel is really all that matters says, let me tell you what these people are like in verse 17 it says they eagerly seek you not commendably but they wish to shut you out in order that you may seek them now i would i would like to take that verse many times and put it across the top of a television screen when i'm watching television preachers many times because they are they are seeking they're eagerly seeking people and not in a commendable way that Paul's talk, uh, like Paul is talking about here. But, but they want to they have you seek them. They want you to look to them. They want you to see what they're like. They want you to be like them. Uh, even in their era. Even in their distortion of the gospel. And Paul says this is what they're wanting to do. They want you to follow them so they can have a notch in their belt. So they can be proud that they have led you away from the gospel. And back into a bondage out of freedom in Christ back into a bondage of legalism and a bondage of religion uh, he, he says something like that toward the end of this book that's kind of amazing he he talks about how we're to boast only in the cross you know not in anything else And he says in verse 13 of chapter 6 it said for those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh in other words, so they can say, this is my convert. This is my disciple. This is the one that I have formed. And Paul said, I don't want to form you like me. I'm not trying to get you to follow me so that I can make you a little Paul. Just like I'm not trying to, I don't want you to follow me and me make you some kind of little Bill. If you're, if you're, just a, if you're like Bill, you're going to be a mess. I've got to tell you. What I want to see is what Paul says here. I want to see Christ formed in you. I want to see you so embrace the gospel and so embrace the truth that it's not that you say, oh, I want to be like Bill, or I want to be like Billy Graham, or I want to be like John MacArthur," or I want to be like any number of people, but I want to be like Christ. I want to see formed in your life a Christ likeness that flows out of the gospel, that flows out of embracing the gospel, not just for salvation, but embracing the gospel for every day of life. Because, my friend, we need the gospel daily, just as much as we need it to be saved. And that's what Paul is saying here, very pastorally, very passionately. He said, "You know, they seek you because they want to have you as their trophy. They want to shut you out. That shutting you out is talking about." out of the gospel message, out of the true church of Jesus Christ. They want you to seek after them so you can look like them. and They can say, oh, this is my doing. This is my work. Verses 19 and 20. Paul says, my children, whom I am again in labor. You've got to picture that. Paul is using the expression and using the, the imagery of a woman in labor, having a child. And he's saying, "I I struggled through this before seeing you birthed into the kingdom. I, I I went through this this struggle with you when I was there and preaching the gospel, and you you were born. It, it appeared in the gloriousness of Christ. And now I feel like I'm in labor with you again. I feel like I'm going through all this again. I feel like we're having to to rebirth you, and you can't be rebirthed after you've been born. you, you don't do that again. It's not a process that." Is repeated over and over again, and he said, I, "I, I'm just, I just want you to see Christ. I just want you to be formed in Christ. I want Christ to be formed in you. I wish I could be with you. I, I write you these things, and, and, you know, it's hard to communicate feeling in a letter, uh, or in our day, it's hard to communicate feeling in an email." you know you can write it and it can be misunderstood easily because there's no intonation there's no there's no inflection in the voice you can't do that in i mean you might put a little smiley face or something but that's about it but when you talk when you're face to face you can give an impassioned plea you can you can show your heart and and paul is simply saying here i want to be with you i want to be present with you i can't be But I want to be because I want to change my tone. I want you to see that I'm perplexed about you, but I'm not angry at you. I'm just troubled by the fact that you would so quickly desert the glories of the gospel. As I look around our world, but our nation, even our state and our city, And I see so much of what is supposed to be a gospel ministry, so much of what is supposed to be a church. And I see it being sold out to entertainment. I see it being sold out to to, uh, just numbers and ideals and growth and and management principles that have nothing to do with the Word of God. And I, I see churches being sold out daily to everything in the world except the gospel of Jesus Christ fact of Jesus Christ as being the Savior alone and, and I see him getting caught up in oh well we can do this for God rather than saying what is God doing in my life and what is God going to do through my life I want to do this for God You're not, God doesn't need us to do anything for him what God desires is to formulate and form Christ within us that ought to be our desire that ought to be our passion that, that's my desire as your pastor and, and And I want to be like Paul here. I don't want to be like the Judaizers trying to get you to follow me. I want want to be like Paul, getting you to look to Christ, trust in Christ, uh, have freedom in Christ, have a a liberty that comes from knowing Christ. Have Him developed in your life on a consistent, daily basis. You know, it's it's a grievous thing for a church to sell out to the things of the world. It's a grievous thing for a people or an individual professing Christian to appear to sell out to just look like the world. We are called to be His disciples. We are called to be His children, His family, His body on this earth. We're called to be used by Him for His glory in every respect. That's what Paul is saying here. He's going to get a little more... uh, tenacious here as he talks about the Judaizers again but in this passage I do want you to hear his heart I want you to hear his desire I want you to hear him saying you loved me once I'm not your enemy I'm going to tell you the truth I'm going to speak the truth I'm going to try to do it in love I'm going to try to do it with compassion but if it comes down to just coddling you And saying oh well what you're doing is all right just be nice it comes down to between doing that and telling you the truth and even incurring your anger I'm going to tell you the truth you know that happens a lot of I think there you might could say that when Paul was there he probably told about the love of God and the grace of God and 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 everything was going really well and then he had to start dealing with them about some of the error And they said wait paul you were a nicer guy when you were here we liked you better when you just were all peace and love and joy paul said yeah but sometimes the truth has to be spoken where error prevails and you when that happens you can't back off just because people don't accept that so paul says my heart my passion my desire is to treat you like children and to show you Christ and to continue to point you to Christ so that Christ may be formed in you. That's the goal of the ministry at Grace Baptist Church. It's a so point to Christ. So point to the Lord Jesus Christ above everything else. Just as we're looking at in, in Hebrews: Christ above all. Somebody asked me this morning after or after church, after that first sermon. He said, "How did you come to? How did you come to choose Hebrews for this next series? Why did you? Why did you pick that? Out of all the things in the, in the Bible, a lot of material there. How did you pick Hebrews? And I wanted to say, well, the Lord just spoke to me in a dream. But I knew I, after the sermon I couldn't do that. But I, I said, you know, I, I prayed a lot about where to go after the Sermon on the Mount." and after the, uh, the uh, Advent series. I prayed a lot about what we needed to think about in 2010 and where our focus needs to be. And, and I really believe that even as a church, as Grace Baptist Church in Somerset, we need to have our focus called again clearly to Christ. We need to gaze upon Him. And Hebrews lets us do that. And Hebrews shows us that in such a, a way that it, it guards us from error And it guards us from the danger of things like the Judaizers. Because while we don't have Judaizers, we certainly still have legalists. We certainly still struggle with that legalism that will steal the joy of freedom in Christ, that will steal the joy of in Christ alone. And I think Hebrews will help us guard against that. And So that's that's how I came to that. That's what the answer to that question for that person was. I just want to see Christ exalted in 2000. I want to see new ministries flow out of that. I want to see God give us new direction on how to touch the city. And, and uh, some of the guys uh, came back from passion, and they're all fired up about ministries and some new areas. And that's going to be great. Because I want to see God lead us into some things that will be world changing starting right here in Somerset in 2010. So as we gaze upon Christ, as we look upon him, we will see his word develop in our life the gospel and that's what we want next week we'll come back to Galatians and we'll look a little further at what the apostle has to say about this glorious gospel let's pray together Father I'm thankful tonight that we can look at your word at this personal message where Paul talks about their love for him and his love for them and how truth can sometimes cause the rift there it ought not but it does because of our nature Father I pray that your Holy Spirit will guard us from that keep our heart, keep our passion keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and upon truth above everything else Father this week as we go to work go to school through those things that uh, we just do in a mundane way may we see those as as being done unto you may we work as, as unto the Lord may we study and go to school as unto the Lord and may our work and our diligence bring glory to your name in everything we do well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have a good week. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday morning, or see you Wednesday night.